You're listening to the Young Baptist Podcast, a show that exists to call believers to committed faithfulness to God's Word, to equip Christians by answering the tough questions that need to be asked, and to challenge churches on everything that distracts us from the beauty and glory of Christ. Now, here's your hosts, Clay Maynard and Josh Johnson. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. My name is Clay Maynard, and I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Johnson. We are two guys committed to the centrality of the gospel, and we want to see our brothers and sisters be captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. Josh, how's it going, man? It's going well, Clay. It's warming up out there, man. Yeah, it is. It's ridiculous. Yeah, we're in Florida, so uh, warming up has a different definition here than most places. Yeah, and all the humidity. It's just real lovely. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> the humidity is the worst part, actually, even worse than the, than the temperature. It feels like you can't breathe sometimes. Bro, can you believe we're getting close to the end of the Baptist distinctives? I know. It feels like we've been on this for a year and we've only been podcasting for three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it has been a lot of work. We t- we've spent a lot of time trying to prep and we want to give people a good understanding of the history behind these doctrines. And, and more importantly, what we want to give a fair treatment to what scripture says. Mm-hmm, That's the real focus is not to be, we've said it before, it's not to be the best Baptist there ever was. It's to, it's to be following scripture to the best of our ability and honoring uh, Christ and showing a good image of Christ to the world, making Jesus uh, the center. Well, Josh, we got some exciting stuff coming up. We've been talking about at the end of our distinctive series doing a Q&A episode. Yeah. Yeah, so if, you have, if you're out there listening and you have... If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, you know, we might read them on the air or respond to them. So uh, if you have any questions for me and Josh, it could be about the distinctives. It could be about a related subject. Uh, it could be about something completely unrelated. Yeah, just um, give us only softballs so we can just knock them out of the park every time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great, actually. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just weed out the ones that are difficult and we'll just answer only yeah, the softballs. Yeah, Pretend absolutely. the other ones didn't happen. For sure. <laughs> Well, Clay, it's our honor today to have Jared Wilson on the podcast with us. Jared is the assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's an author, he's a conference speaker, and so much more. Jared, thank you so much for being here on the podcast today. Guys, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. If you wouldn't mind, Jared, would you take a couple minutes and maybe introduce yourself to our uh, audience who may not be as familiar with you and the ministry that God has called you to. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting. It's a young Baptist podcast and you got a, a not young Baptist uh, guest on here. I don't know why I was invited. to. <laughs> I don't know if I'm old yet, but I'm getting, I'm, I'm not young anymore. So I'm a, I can't I'm a, tell. I'm a getting old Baptist. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. We can't tell Jared, so that's okay. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, I've been in church ministry a long time. Started uh, summer. I graduated high school actually, and uh, was involved in, in local church ministry for twenty some years um, before moving to Kansas City, Missouri. My last, the last church I pastored was in Vermont, in in a little town called Middletown Springs, and uh, I came from there uh, to Kansas City, Missouri. So yeah, I teach at Midwestern Seminary, pastoral ministry, and and writing as well. I serve as um, author in residence uh, for the seminary. And my uh, one of my favorite things to do, however, is uh, direct a residency program at our church. It's called the Pastoral Training Center. So uh, it's an 18-month program. We have guys who are aspiring to ministry, 
And um, it's a very discipleship, spiritual formation-based um, program where, uh, yeah, we're just trying to invest in the next generation of, of ministers. So I may not be a young Baptist, but I'm heavily invested both in the seminary and in the local church in young Baptists um, so that they could be uh, old Baptists someday uh, as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Josh, you're, or, you know, one of the things Josh and I both appreciate about um, what you've done, we, we actually have encountered uh, your work. I know the first time I was exposed to your, your ministry and the things you're putting out is through, I believe, blog posts at the Gospel Coalition. And yeah, then, yeah, uh, I've, blog, I've blogged uh, at, at the Gospel Coalition for a uh, number of years, uh, going on 10 years probably now, I think. it's It's been a little while. I don't know if it's quite that long, but uh, pretty close. And yeah. I also blog at um, at For the Church. I have a I have a Monday article every week at at the For the Church website. Yeah, you have quite a few irons in the fire, and that's one of the things I I, I actually uh, appreciate and that I've benefited from. That was the there was the writing there, and then of course there's the books. You've written a number of books. Uh, several of them we've recommended to our audience yeah. in the past. You know, I think you know Josh was recommending. He just went through. Um, Gospel driven church. Gospel driven church. Um, and you know, just for any Christian, if you haven't already read, um, the imperfect disciple, you should. Um, and so we've, uh, I, and then, I mean, then I started following you on Twitter, which that's a, that's fun too. Uh, you, you have, (laughs) you have a lot of great content and a lot of funny content and all kinds of stuff. So that's always a blessing. Matter of fact, now that you're with us, I was actually meaning to ask you, um, I, would you, are you interested in ghostwriting a book for me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) Nick, it, 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 yeah, it depends on uh, uh, how much you're paying. <laughs> Everybody has their price, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't, if you don't, I do get have the, two kids in college, so <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, if you don't get that reference, go follow Jared on Twitter and, and scroll back a little ways, and you'll see, you'll see some of the humor behind that. Yeah, talking about Twitter, actually, you might get a kick out of this, Jared. Earlier this year, um, you know, we always hear people say, like, if you, if you have a goal, if you aspire to something, you know, put it out there, put it out there for people. So I tweeted earlier this year, I said, it's important to set goals, sometimes goals bigger than you think possible. So here it goes. And I said, this year, I'd like to have coffee with one of the following people. And I tagged you, Jared C. Wilson, Ray Ortland, or Tim Keller. And I said, you never know what could happen. And here we are. I have accomplished my goal. So thank you, sir. Yeah. Well, I've, I've had coffee with both those guys. So you could just, it, it'll just, uh, uh, vicariously, just by being with me, now you're with those two as well. Because they, well, that works. That works for me. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be quote tweeting that here in just a couple hours. So there there you go. Goal one, one degree of Ray Ortland is what. We even have the coffee. It's virtual yeah, coffee, it's but it, literally it happening. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Jared, we, you know, we, we wanted to have you on to talk about, um, about ministry, to talk about um, ministry leaders, uh, particularly church leaders. It's obviously uh, something you've done a, a great job teaching, uh, writing about, and so forth. You know, we live in a time where I, I think it's always been easy to get burned out in ministry, but maybe more so now. You know, there's, there's pressure that's unprecedented. Um, you know, it, the, the 2020 alone only amplified a lot of the, the, the pr- pressure that ministry brings. Um, it's normal for pastors to feel, you know, lonely, uh, deal with depression and struggle with disappointment uh, in ministry. How can those in ministry today, uh, especially pastors, avoid burnout? Yeah, well, because burnout is such a multifaceted problem, right? It can come from almost anywhere. 
I think it it behooves every minister to kind of have his head on a swivel about um, his particular vulnerabilities, I suppose. So um, I, I think it's, you know, in, in, in a way, um, you know, I don't think burnout's a, a, a sin. I think it, it can be the result of sin. But in a way, it's sort of like, um, you know, Paul encouraging his, you know, his pupils to keep a close watch on their life and doctrine or Peter in first Peter five telling, um, elders to, uh, keep a watch out for the devil. Right. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just think, um, vigilance is, is the number one key that you don't just go on autopilot because it, it, if you do ministry will begin to seep into every available margin and, and, and crack and crevice that you've got. It'll steal time from your marriage without you realizing it just incrementally, right? Like none of us, um, I mean, I know there are guys, you know, who do commit adultery, but none of us are thinking, um, you know, I'm going to go cheat on my wife, but we may cheat, you know, in little tiny ways and steal time away, maybe things that just seem um, incidental or, or, you know, small, and yet they begin to add up and, and kind of snowball. If, if you give um, you know, the ministry pressure an inch, it'll, it'll take a mile, um, in the same way that the enemy does. So I, I don't mean to spiritualize the, the the thing, but it just has such heavy spiritual impact. Um, so I tend to look at really kind of three, um, in, in one of my books, I don't remember which one, uh, I think in my new book, I talk about, um, avoiding burnout through something I call RBM, uh, so um, R stands for rest, B stands for boundaries, M start, uh, stands for margin. And if you think, if you mind your RBM, if you're vigilant about your, your RBM, you'll be very proactive when it comes to burnout. So rest is essentially um, exactly as it sounds, right? We are not um, infinite uh, creatures. We don't have an infinite amount of resources or energy. We are finite creatures with limited capacity because we're not God, right? He mm-hmm. is God and we are not. So we don't have uh, omnipotence or uh, omnipresence or omniscience. So um, it's it's good for us to be reminded of that by not working <laughs> on a regular basis, sure. right? And we're even commanded, we are commanded to rest, to, in a sense, um, have a rhythm of Sabbath in, in, in our lives. And I know people have differing views on, um, you know, is, is there a particular day, you know, Sabbath day? What does it mean to keep the Sabbath day holy? All those sorts of things. But the bottom line is we need to make sure that, um, that, that we have a regular pattern of work and then rest, work and then rest. Um, and that's just good. It helps us recuperate, helps us reflect on, on, on what God is doing. Um, and so we're not just going, you know, 24-7 like some kind of functional Messiah, you know, for our church. Mm. So rest boundaries is, is one that I think a lot of guys struggle with. Uh, which is essentially that you are protecting your family, you're protecting your even your health, um, you're protecting other areas of your life that that need to be um, shepherded uh, almost as much, if not more so, than your congregation. Um, you know, if if a pastor is married, his first priority is is his wife, right? The 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 church is is Christ's bride, uh, not yours. So mm-hmm. yeah. you, you tend to your bride, and uh, and make sure that you are. Um, you know, watering that garden well and tending to that, you know, to the flock uh, at home well. 
Um, and so you need to sometimes put up appropriate, you know, boundaries to say, um, I'm not going to give family time to the church and, um, and vice versa as well, I suppose. Um, but more often than not, guys kind of sacrifice family on the altar of ministry than, than the other way around. I know the other way around happens, but it's, it's not as common, um, I don't think. Uh, and then margin that you've got actually that you're not scheduling yourself, even in your work time, uh, to the limit that you allow some flex time, you know, buffer between meetings, between, um, you know, concentrated tasks or, or uh, appointments. And it's work time, but it's time that you can kind of either flex things in and out if a meeting runs long or a task just takes more time than you thought it, you know, it would. Um, or when things don't, when they just neatly fall into as you, you know, expected, now you've got scheduled work time that you can use, um, uh, you know, to read or to pray or to, you know, to spend in some other way, um, you know, energy towards your ministry. Um, you know, those are, I think, three kind of ways to guard against burnout. And, and, and the problem with burnout is most guys I know, uh, they don't do anything about it until, until they, you know, collapse. Mm. (laughs) Um, and so it, it, it's really important that we get proactive, uh, about those things. Yeah. Jared, you were talking about how these things aren't in and of themselves at the beginning, often sin, but you know, it, it's interesting because the just because it's not sin doesn't mean that if it's the most advantageous thing for the devil to use, maybe because it's not sin, we're a little less guarded against it. Um, and so Satan doesn't mind using that to take a minister out if he can. And so just talking about uh, those boundaries and things like that, it's that's so, and you, you alluded to being a functional Messiah. I, I know the temptation is in any career um, to keep doing more, to keep achieving more. And sometimes we can start to just see ministry the same way, uh, you know, an unbeliever might see his career, which is that is it's that it's identifying with me. It's, it's, it's defining of who I am. And so, especially because it's ministry, maybe it's harder to say no where you, where it's needed because, you know, when you say no to, to something that's just on a pragmatic level, then it's maybe easier. But you, when you're saying no to, to something that's ministry, somehow there's a weight to it that makes it feel like I can't say no. Um, and so I know in, in my life, there's been moments where I needed to say no and I didn't and I regretted it, but I look, you know, you, the next time it comes, you're looking at it again and you're saying, oh, I don't feel like it can say no. And that comes from, you, you mentioned it, but it, 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 it oftentimes maybe comes from our feeling that we have to do it. And if we don't do it, something's going to fall apart or something. And that's, that is adopting that sort of functional Messiah. In other words, it's not going to be okay if I'm not ever present essentially doing God's job for him, you know? Well, there's that. And there's also just the, the need, um, that a lot of us have, uh, um, to have people like us and, and, you know, to be a people pleaser. Yeah. So, you know, I struggled to say no, not because I liked doing a bunch of stuff and feeling all powerful or, or like somebody's rescuer, but because I didn't want to disappoint anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I just had to learn like, no is how you, you, uh, you know, keep the promises to the people you said yes to. If you're saying, if you're saying yes to everybody, uh, you know, somebody's going to, you know, not, um, yeah, you, you're not going to live up to your promise to some people. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's still feeling no, you know, at some level. Right. And that helped me. Somebody told me, a wise person told me, realize everything you say yes to, you're saying no to something else. And if you know that that's taking time from your family, just sit there and picture saying no to your children or saying no to your, you know, if you're going to take time from your family, visualize that and maybe that'll help you make that decision. It's good. I think this is a good time to transition into 
kind of talking about the relationship a church has with their pastor. Because we've all seen it where a church probably unintentionally makes their pastor Jesus in a way. I'm sure you've seen it. I know I have. How can churches, one, really guard against that? Obviously, we know the gospel is going to be the answer. But what are some practical ways churches can guard against against that? And how can a church minister to their pastor and ministry leaders in that way? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of fronts you can wage that that encourage that you know battle of encouragement on and support on in in general i think every church member ought to take seriously um hebrews chapter 13 right towards the end of the chapter uh where we are instructed to obey our leaders and submit to them and not to give them any cause for groaning i find that really really important (laughs) um and and for me so i'm not a pastor now uh, but I take that very seriously. And, and the way that I look at it is it's my job to be as low maintenance a church member as I can be. Um, so I want to, I want, you know, I want to serve uh, joyfully. I, I, you know, I want to, you know, fill um, any kind of role that would be, um, you know, conducive to my gifts and my wiring and that sort of thing. Um, and, and I want to be a cheerful contributor, not just financially, but in just with my own uh, participation in worship and et cetera, et cetera. Basically what I'm aiming for is when one of my pastors sees me coming, he doesn't have to like hold his breath or clench his teeth or, Oh no, it's Jared. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. not thinking, you know, uh, you know, great. Here comes Jared. Right. But great. Here comes Jared. Right. Like that. It's a, yeah. it's a relief. And, and, you know, those people are so life-giving. You, you, you will see your pastor, um, you know, even exceed expectations you had for him. Um, you know, nobody has ever been too encouraged. I don't think um, mm. if if more people would take that seriously. So that's just kind of the general disposition. Um, now I know there's bad pastors out there, and you know there's there's abusive pastors and domineering pastors and and bullies and that sort of thing. Setting that example aside, just the faithful shepherd who's imperfect, like any pastor is, um, save you know Jesus. But any, you know, uh, um, you know, regular pastor um, is is uh, typically doing their best in an imperfect way, um, carrying the daily pressure of the anxiety of the churches, which, you know, Paul describes. Um, And and so I think our general sort of outlook should be uh, what can I do to uh, carry my own load and not put uh, more than my pastor can bear on his back? Now, obviously, there's times, there's seasons of brokenness, suffering, neediness, where we become high maintenance, you know, despite our best efforts, um, and 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 those are different seasons. But in general, I'm I'm seeking, you know, as far as I'm able, can I be a low maintenance church member? But now, practically, there's a variety of things that I think would would be really helpful. I'm I'm glad that more churches are kind of recovering the um, the sabbatical tradition that that uh vocational pastors and even non-vocational pastors you know even lay elders i think who who have a significant tenure um that they're given extended time away so not just your two three weeks or whatever it is of vacation um but that there's you know um at you know certain milestones five years seven years something like that um there's an extended time given three months or or or, or longer even for pastors to reflect recuperate rest um, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, gather their strength and vision, regather their vision for, you know, for the next season. 
Um, that's something that the church used to do quite a bit. And it kind of fell out of, um, you know, fell out of tradition, but it's being recovered more and more. And I think, I think it's more and more necessary, especially as, you know, just kind of the, the tyranny of the modern age and, and the professionalization, uh, it's actually created more stress on, on ministers. Um, you know, the way we do ministry today, I think is in, in some ways more stressful because of all of the added complexities on top of just the, you know, uh, regular, uh, relational work of, of pastoral care, you know, soul caring and that sort of thing. But even that alone, um, you know, I think a lot of lay people don't, don't understand that, you know, how good pastors, um, are just carrying this weight constantly of, I'm responsible for this flock. <laughs> I'm, I'm accountable for, for the, like, this has been stewarded to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. And I think that's what Paul's getting at when he just, you know, he talks about his, you know, the daily pressure. It's not something that you can just turn off. Um, you know, you, it, it keeps you up at night. It, um, it's just, you carry that weight in your bones all the time. So the, you know, kind of planning a sabbatical structure, I think can be really helpful if you want your pastor to be around a long time. If you're interested in them enduring, not burning out, you know, retiring or, 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 you know, or dying in that pulpit. Mm. Um, but, you know, being around for a while, you, you'll invest in their longevity and, and not run them ragged. So I think a sabbatical policy is something a lot of more churches should consider. Jared, you talk, you wrote something recently, and I believe the title was pastors are paid to stare out the window. Yeah. Um, and I loved that because anybody who's been involved in vocational ministry, and I think you can even understand this if you've not been involved in vocational ministry, but you at, at least understand at some level, maybe you've been in some level of ministry leadership where you can appreciate um, this, the caring for the souls of other people and caring for the spiritual well-being of others. Um, what, what kind of spiritual development that takes in you? You know, I, am, I know that in my own life, just as a church member, you know, I know that my spiritual development and, and my progress and my family spiritual life is dependent in, in very many ways on my ability to take moments of reflection, moments of meditation, time in God's word, time in prayer, you know, time beholding Jesus. And how more true is that of, of somebody whose spiritual life is under a microscope and, and oftentimes feels that pressure on a more substantial level, you know, making sure that we, you, I think in the article, you've been kind of made a reference to, let's get back to calling it the pastor study and not just the office, you know, because yeah, it's yeah. not like any other office environment. He's not a CEO. It's, it's not the same thing. And so having some appreciation for that in a church, I know when, when churches appreciate um, the spiritual work that's going on and how it's so different than, than, than any other office environment or anything else you're seeing out in the world. That is so helpful for, for, I know, for pastors out there, just to have people in the church who have an appreciation and an understanding for that. Yeah. You know, I mean, shallow thinkers make bad pastors. And, and so if we want our pastors to, to think deeply, to drink deeply from God's word, uh, to be, um, you know, more pastoral, <laughs> you know, I guess, um, you know, we'll kind of take seriously that, uh, you know, the, when the diaconate was formed, the, um, you know, the apostolic function and the ministry, you know, the, the, you know, uh, proclamational function was essentially categorized uh, by contrast as prayer and ministry of the word. 
So pastoral yeah. ministry, which is an extension, of course, of the apostolic ministry, it's not the same thing, but it's an you know, extension of it, um, is you know, categorized as prayer and ministry of the word. Those are the two primary functions. We do a lot more as pastors, but those are the two primary things. And so if we're going to be committed to prayer as a primary function and to ministry of the word, that means we need to be deep in study as well. And a lot of times that doesn't look efficient. It doesn't look uh, immediately, you know, immediately practical. It is practical, but it doesn't look immediately. Uh, you know, there's no instant gratification. Um, it, it, it's not like making widgets on an assembly line. Um, it, it means a lot of times just sitting there and being still and talking to God and, and reading big books and thinking deep thoughts. So that's what I, uh, was aiming at with that kind of stare out the window is, you know, yeah. <laughs> we want to give our pastors space to stare out the window because it, it will benefit us in the long run if we do. Well, and I appreciate that you wrote it because it was a justification for me to come and just stand in my office and look out the window and drink coffee every day. <laughs> it's good for your soul, brother. I know you're joking, but it's good. It's good to stare at, 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 at the things that God has made, I think, sometimes. I'm kind of stuck on the functional Messiah thing that you said a little bit okay. ago, because I think that's our background is more independent Baptist. And so I think I've seen, in some cases, I've seen it to where those in leadership fall into that functional Messiah thing. And we were actually just talking about this a couple of days ago when we recorded Individual Soul Liberty, how Paul told the Corinthian believers, 2 Corinthians 1, that he didn't, he wasn't there to have dominion over their faith, but to be a helper of their joy, which obviously means he's pointing them back to Jesus in everything that he does. But this functional Messiah, like, I just can't get past that. It seems to me that a pastor that wants to help somebody, he has a desire for spiritual growth and development. There, if we're not guarded in our own souls, we may fall into that to where we're trying to be someone's Messiah. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Well, and I think you're, one of the things we were talking about before is there's some, sometimes a, um, I don't know if this is Bible Belt culture somewhat too, but maybe it is, but especially in small to middle church sized churches um, where a lot of the pastoral care is invested in one person, you know, you do start to see a, a, a codependence that, that almost eliminates Jesus. You know, it's just, this person has become this, this guru for me. And instead of treating him like a human being who also needs to be healthy and, and, and be discipled and, and a part of the body, there's there's this platforming and this um this positional difference that shouldn't exist that that starts to where they get you know they get a pastor mm -hmm. the pastor gets pedestaled and then it really sets them up for for a really difficult time because they feel that that dependency on them and maybe they respond to it in a way that that instead of pointing people to Jesus they start to feel like they have to be that for them as well which goes back to what you were saying about Paul saying, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't dominate. I don't, I'm not a domineering your faith. I don't have dominion over your faith, but I'm helper of your joy. That's, that's a, I do think that's a real contrast. You know, he was talking about we're independent Baptists, particularly uh, in fundamentalism uh, is our, is our historical background. But I think in the South, that is from where I'm from, that seems to be a pretty prevalent model. What do you, what is your response to that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the solo pastor model can unintentionally inadvertently lead to this um, where the, the dynamic is, is set up and kind of expected and nobody even sees anything wrong with it, where the, you know, the pastor supplies the ministry and the people supply the need for ministry. And, and there's not, um, the sense of, 
the, the pastor working to equip the saints for ministry to each other, that, that he would be kind of leading the church into healthy body life, which means not that he's, you know, absentee and, and not, and not caring for people, but that he's also equipping people, um, developing, you know, other leaders, um, but helping the, you know, the church to care for herself and, and, uh, not just to take, you know, individual responsibility for spiritual growth, but, but also to take on the, the, uh, um, you know, accountability that we are our brother's keepers. So, you know, sometimes that dynamic of, well, you're there to supply all the ministry and we're just here to receive that dynamic in the solo pastor model or the parish model can, can, um, have that effect of creating a functional Messiah, um, you know, matrix, even without a guy who's trying to do that himself. It's just, that's the, the context that he's, that he's got, which I think, you know, recovering the biblical model of, of plurality of eldership, I think is helpful there as well. If churches are able to do that, I know some churches are just not quite in the right, it's, you know, the, uh, the timing's not right, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I took three years to walk my church, you know, through that process. I know a guy who's working, you know, he's going to take him five years. He thinks, um, you know, so not every church is ready for that right away, but there's a reason why that's the biblical model of, you know, multiple pastors is to kind of help share it, you know, share the load, Yes. but also that there's accountability. Mm-hmm. So if you notice any one guy is really like, um, he, he's, he's addicted to feeling needed. Um, uh, he's on a power trip, maybe, um, you know, there's th- those little shades of, um, you know, feeling some kind of, uh, um, you know, Christ, you know, figure, you know, coming out or something. Yeah. Um, it can come out in a passive way or an active way. It can come out in a domineering way or, or in a kind of passive aggressive way. Um, but you have accountability. Other pastors, you know, can kind of say, whoa, I, I, we're beginning to see something here that maybe we should, we should talk about, um, you know, there's, you know, following the biblical model for these things, um, it, you know, just helps put good guardrails, uh, against these, uh, you know, you know, phenomenon. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, giving your pastor time off, allowing them to get away and reflect and all that, 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 that's going to be very difficult if you're not, if, if in the, throughout the course of the ministry, you're not raising up and training leaders, if you're not, for sure. um, if, you're not committing also to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. If, if, if that's not happening, it's really going to hamstring that person where, where they, they have to bail the church out every, mm-hmm. at every single turn. There's not anybody else. They can't get away. They can't ever make that, that break and, and, and truly rest um, really at any point. You know, that, that can easily happen. I mean, it's a, it's a red flag. It's an alarmist to go off if you think, I can't take a vacation or, or even a day off because the church will fall apart or something will fall apart. Now that may be something that you've just inherited. You've, you know, inherited a bad, you know, bad model or a dysfunctional model. But if that's the kind of pattern, you know, for the pastor, that means um, that he really needs to get about the work of leadership development, uh, some better equipping, uh, which is, you know, you know, both of those are just aspects of discipleship that he would take, you know, those aspects of discipleship more seriously in his church as well, because anyone who's thinking, um, I can't take a day off or I can't take a week off or, or the church will fall apart. That's someone who is whether, you know, you know, intentionally or inadvertently, um, operating in the functional Messiah mode, because <laughs> the only person who, if they took a day off, the church would fall apart, uh, should be Jesus. Right? Yeah. Amen. Um, Absolutely. If, if Jesus took a second off, we would fall apart, but mm-hmm. he's the only, only person that we should be able to say that about. That's awesome. I mean, I know 
when I was in the search for ministry positions, I talked to somebody. It'd be terrible if they're listening and remember talking to me, but <laughs> I talked to a pastor and he told me straight up, he was like, we don't take days off. We don't have time off. We work every day. And that's, that's an just, idolatrous church, basically. What they're saying is come to First Church of Idols. <laughs> this is what, that's what we're about. Yeah. yeah. I just, I wanted to go back to that functional Messiah. I don't think that can be overstated how dangerous that is. Yeah. And I, and I think what you, what Jared was saying too, I don't think most people intend for that to happen. No, I, I don't mean, think. Usually not. I, we're, I wouldn't think so. Very wise man said our, our heart is a factory of idols. So, <laughs> um, so it's, it's easy to happen. Jared, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, every generation, every time period, really, we know there's no new things on, under the sun. The truth is human beings are as they always have been since the Garden of Eden. But, but every generation does. There are patterns that change. There are unique circumstances. You know, I would, I think a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are, are younger in demographic. Um, we, I mean, we kind of set ourselves up for that by calling ourselves the young Baptist, but, um, but what do you see as unique challenges for the facing the next generation of Christian leaders? And two, what do you think, what unique opportunities do you think that represents? Well, I don't know that the challenges are new because I think things kind of work in a cycle in, in a sense. So, you know, it's not in a similar way that like this, you know, the pandemic is, it's not unprecedented in church history, but it's right. certainly unprecedented for us. <laughs> like, we, sure. you know, <laughs> those of us living through it right now have not, have never been any, you know, through anything like this. So in, in, in that sense, it's unprecedented. So I want to put that caveat on, on kind of what I'm going to say, because I don't think this is a new problem, but it's it's somewhat new and will be kind of, I think, for the, the next generation, something they're going to have to take up. I, I think political idolatry is a huge thing right now. Um, I'm I'm not an apolitical person. Um, I'm, you know, politically conservative. Um, but I, I just am seeing the inroads, the kind of dilution, uh, a, a lukewarmness of the true faith because of the influx of, of the, you know, hot water of, of, uh, of politics into kind of a cooling water of um, wholehearted devotion to Jesus. And so these things have become merged and it's creating a lukewarmness that, um, yeah, actually is, I think, uh, really wreaking havoc on a lot of um, congregations and a lot of ministers. I think the next generation is going to have to uh, be really strong with a kind of political theology, um, be able to learn how to be in the world, but not of it in every sense of it, right? So we've been used to um, being in the world, but not of it. Uh, when it comes to sexual immorality and the the changing sexual mores and all those sorts of things, and we've gotten pretty good at that, um, you know, I think we, you know, we've seen those who kind of go that way tend to to just drop off or drop out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, emergent church has just emerged into the main line. The main line is continuing to erode and 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 dissolve, despite kind of the, you know, recent media pushes and those sorts of things. If if you look at the numbers. Um, there's just still in, in, in decline. So we, st- it doesn't mean we need to let down our guard in terms of, um, you know, what the world would want the younger generation to think about sexual identity and, and those sorts of things. Um, and in fact, I think that would be another thing the young, you know, the next generation is going to have to keep in mind. Um, because 10, 15 years ago, those of us who were pastors, it never would have crossed our mind to think, what do I do if someone shows up who, uh, is biologically male, but claiming to be female? Um, like we might've been aware that was a thing, 
but it wasn't like a thing. You know what I mean? Like right. the odds of that you know, coming into your church or something was just, it just wasn't a thing, but it's increasingly becoming a thing more and more. And so the next gen is going to have to, um, you know, really have uh, a strong sense of biblical conviction. But I think that goes the other way as well, because the, the threats aren't just from the outside. There are threats inside. And we saw, we see this throughout the Old Testament, how Israel was constantly beset on the outside by hostile, you know, nations and tribes, um, uh, uh, you know, constantly, you know, uh, um, either going into exile or being, you know, at war or something. But they were also beset on the inside by idolatry. And I just think, the, uh, the, you know, kind of the current guard of, of pastor um, right now, my generation and older, um, really has their eye kind of on the on the horizon of the threats from the outside and we preach a great game about being on guard against the threats from the outside and we can actually build a good platform by standing in the pulpit and preaching against the threats from the outside but it's the idolatry on the inside that hardly mm -hmm. anybody wants to touch it's the third rail of pastoral ministry uh you can get fired by talking about the idols of your church or or, or the church so we don't touch it and we let it go we're gonna have to give an account for it someday i think mm -hmm. the next generation needs to um really uh kind of work through uh a fear of man versus fear of god uh, just like every generation has to but in these particular areas political idolatry and then of course going forward kind of the sexual you know the changing sexual uh uh you know landscape uh, outside the church um, I don't think we can let down our guard there at all because that onslaught has been coming for, uh, uh for decades now. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, it's the indoctrination is in, is in schools and on social media and everything like that. So, uh, I just want us to fight kind of a two, you know, fight both fronts, the outside and, and the inside so that we don't get taken, uh, uh, by either one. Yeah. They, and the, the two are so in, in a way tangentially, you know, they're so closely connected because you're, you're oftentimes, I know that growing up, yeah, uh, I was, you know, gr I was raised in a very Christian, very conservative, um, very, uh, dedicated church family. You know, we were, my, my, my life was about the church and about the, about living the Christian life. And so I was more sheltered than, than the average person. But I think a lot of churches have some of that, um, where the world is, is at the doors. And, you know, when, when the sexual revolution happened in the last century, it was, it was understood where the church was and why the church was there because that was so still built in, built, built into the cultural conscience, you know, of, of cultural, you know, of what Christianity was today. They the, the world that I talk to now, when I'm, when I'm speaking to people in the community, they, they, they know sometimes what the church stands for sometimes. Um, they sometimes they they don't know why, and they often mistrust the reasons, and so the 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 whole dynamic has changed. So whereas people used to kind of understand where the battle why where the lines were where the lines were and why now it's like well why the the, the culture actually is ripe for a real gospel witness and how the gospel applies to sexual ethics in a place where maybe we didn't need to talk about it before because people knew they don't know anymore. This generation does not have that that history in at least some level of, of consciousness about what scripture teaches. So they don't know how the, and maybe the, maybe that generation wasn't doing a perfect job either. Cultural Christianity was, was teaching at least morality at some level. Maybe it wasn't always the gospel, but, um, 
But then too, I think Christ, Christians often are reaching for political weapons to fight the 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 wars of the sexual implosion. We're say we're you know we're re, instead of reaching for the gospel as a way of combating the the drift toward liberal sexual ethics, we're reaching for political tools. You know, yeah. and not well, not, not that I'm even saying there. Yeah, even there, there's been a corruption of because twenty well longer ago than that, um, where where we would you know point out the immorality of political candidates and and rule them out um, either by their party or 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 by their you know behavior or their character. We don't do that anymore. And in fact, even some of the recent surveys um, that they've done about, you know, people's political preferences, even in the, in the conservative stream, and they're finding increasingly, uh, you know, you know, in, an increasing majority of people saying that um, character concerns or, or ethical concerns aren't as big a deal um, as long as they, you know, reflect my political stance or, um, you know, my position on public policy and different things like that. Um, and that's relatively recent. It, we used to be the character matters people. Now right. we're beginning to, well, you know, if, if they, you know, if they stand for the right things, I don't worry so much about their character. And so we're, we're giving, you know, we're compromising a little bit, you know, as we go. And now we have a transgender, you know, person running for, you know, in a Republican you know, position uh, out in California. And, um, you know, there are some who, you know, who are, are rejecting that, but there's quite a few who are pretty much open to it. Well, because, uh, you know, that person is reflecting, um, you know, the right political positions. And so we've, you know, we're giving up ground um, in that regard. So you, you bring political, you know, uh, you know, politics into the world of spirituality. And very often uh, you end up with a, a compromised uh, sense of spirituality. But I think you're exactly right on terms of the opportunities you know, what is it, you know, what are the opportunities going forward, which is we're increasingly entering a, 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 an age where um, it's as much like, uh, um, you know, the first century um, as we've ever been, at, you know, at least in the United States, right? So right, yeah. you know, parts of Europe have already, you know, kind of gone there. Um, but we're increasingly entering a, a, a stage where the gospel is as provocative and compelling as it you know, was ages ago. And um, I think we have the opportunity now to really take seriously what it means to bear witness to the, uh, you, know, to, you, know, to, you know, to the beauty of the gospel by living in countercultural ways, being able to speak the truth into the culture without, you know, being absorbed by it or reflecting its values. That's something I think that, um, yeah, the missional and, and, and missionary opportunities are, are really exciting. I mean, you know, we could be doom and gloom about what's going on right now, and, and, and we should be appropriately uh, lamenting the, uh, you know, deterioration of the culture and those sorts of things. But on a missional level, because Christ is still king and still upholds the universe by the word of his power, and the gospel is still powerful and still true, this can actually be a really exciting time. It's an exciting time to be a Christian, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. I know for me, it's, it's forced me to, to retool how I talk about, you know, you, the, the, because it's not that the gospel changes, but, but applying the gospel to the challenges or the, the particular idols of the day is, is a, is an interesting process. And it does force the, the challenges has forced ministry leaders, pastors, teachers to, to sort of retool, you know, and to sort of go back to the tool belt and say, Hey, the gospel applies to this. Um, but we need to start speaking into, to issues 
that are that are facing us today. And, and I know that I don't think anybody has. I don't think you can miss if you're aware at all how prevalent um, politics has become, where it starts to take over the guy. You know how it is. Every decision nowadays is a political decision. It feels like even in ministry. And so, um, and so, what an what an important um, important time to reflect more on on you, like you said, developing a proper political theology, um, so that we can boldly preach against the idols of our time. Well, Jared, before we uh, sign off here today, let's say that you uh, were sitting across the desk from a guy, and he's about to go into his first pastorate. Um, and he's just, he's like, Jared, I mean, what do you got for me? What's some advice you can give me before, before I step off into this? What would be some, some advice you'd give to the young ministry leaders listening as they're taking that next step in the ministry? Yeah. So my, you know, my emphasis is what I see, um, I think reflected in the new Testament, but neglected in a lot of evangelical ministries, which is the centrality of the finished work of Christ. So my advice generally to anyone entering into pastoral ministry would be to remember to preach the gospel from the text, that Christians need the gospel, um, not just the lost, but Christians need the gospel in order to grow, to be sanctified. So preach the gospel from the text and make it look true with your love for people. So preach well, love people. It's nothing revolutionary or, or innovative. Um, but I think if we, if, if we, um, yeah, if we prioritize those things, uh, a lot of other things either work themselves out or, um, take the proper perspective or take the proper proportion, I guess I should say, um, in, in, in the light of, of those. So, you know, I, I just want pastors, old, young, new seasoned to, um, return again and again to the justification that they have by faith in Christ alone, um, because that's the power for people to be transformed. And it's the best validation for the minister. Do, you know, don't get hung up on, um, you know, how many you're running and, you know, how big your platform is getting or not getting right. I think it's, uh, it's, it's one of those routes to burnout to kind of base your, your personal appraisal and your identity on, you know, quote unquote, how things are going, <laughs> how yeah. the ministry is going, because there's going to be lean seasons. Um, and there's going to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, times where the gospel seems out of season. Uh, but Paul says, just keep preaching the word, just keep preaching the word. So return again and again to the gospel for your validation and fulfillment. Um, you know, preach the gospel from the text and love people and, and let the Lord sort it out. I think everyone needs to hit pause and then go back a couple of seconds, 15, 20, 30 seconds and listen to that again. <laughs> That's super good. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's like you said, Jared, it's not, rev it's not revolutionary, but you, you use the word identity and, and that word is so important. You, if you base your your feelings about your ministry or your, or your feelings about where you're at or about, like you said, how things are going, if we base it on anything, anything, but it is finished, then then it's, then it's fragile and it's, it's losable. Mm -hmm. And, um, and like you said, it leads, that'll help lead to the burnout. Um, because you're not finding your identity in the finished work of Christ. That's, that's awesome. 
Well, Jared, we ask each of our guests for a couple of book recommendations. Feel free to use your own. Feel free to use uh, something you've just read recently, something that's an all-time favorite of yours. What do, you, what do you think? What should our listeners, what should we be reading? Well, I'll cheat. I'll, I'll give you one of mine, Gospel Driven Ministry, which just came out. It's an introduction to the, the, the calling and work of, of, uh, of the pastor. Uh, just came out earlier this year, and it's kind of my uh, survey of what pastoral ministry centered on the gospel um, should look like. And it's, it's very practical. So there's lots of you know, reflective philosophical things in it. But it also has lots of things like how to prepare sermons, how to preach funerals, how to uh, develop leaders, how to navigate conflict, all those sorts of things. So gospel-driven ministry, I'd recommend. But then two books that have really blessed me, a newer one and an older one, uh, Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and a, a little book called The Gospel by Ray Ortland, um, which is in the Nine Marks series, uh, Building Healthy Churches series. Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, The Gospel by Ray Ortland. Both of those really kind of give great pictures of what a church centered on the gospel um, can look like. And they've both been really meaningful and, and, and helpful to me. Yeah, the gospel is on my nightstand right now, and I'm going to be oh, reading awesome. it here in a couple of weeks. I'm excited about it. Jared, would you be uh, would you be willing to close us in a word of prayer? You just want to say again, thank you so much for yeah. for your time, and I know that Josh and I have both been very blessed by your ministry. We're really grateful for you taking the time to spend with us and and helping our audience. Um, would you mind closing us in a word of prayer? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, these good brothers here. I pray that you would bless them and 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 prosper them in all that they're doing. That you'd give them the desires of their heart, uh, fill them with grace. Uh, strength for today and tomorrow. We pray that you bless their families as well. And everyone listening, Father, I pray that you would give them, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, a, a, a sense of the glory of your Son that is comforting and thrilling and transforming, um, because we cannot do any good without the glory of your Son uh, helping us, clarifying things for us, empowering us, and in the end, bringing us home. So we thank you for the gift of your son through the good news of your son. And we ask that you would stir our affections more and more for him. We thank you that he is our friend and brother even. Uh, we pray these things in the name of your son, Christ Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Young Baptist Pod. And check out our website at theyoungbaptistpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you consume the content. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on the Young Baptist Podcast. Podcast.